Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest this week is Sonia Kennan, top 40 American 20-year-old, uh, has already won one title this year in Hobart and is playing some very nice, feisty, steady tennis. Uh, fun conversation. She was in Madrid. She had the misfortune of drawing Petra Kvitova, the defending champion in the first round, so she had some Time to kill. We'd been talking about uh, doing this for a few weeks, so we uh, we made time. This is a fun conversation with a, a likable up-and-coming player. Here's from Madrid. Here's Sonia Kennan. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thanks. We're going to call you Sonia. Is that okay? Uh, that's fine, of we're, course. We're going to get fine. that out of the way. I, I think I told you this in Indian Wells. Somebody wrote to me, and they said, what do you think about the, the Kennan sisters, Sophia and Sonia? And, and I, I had to explain that... Uh, it's it's one person with a, with a nickname. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's yeah, there's just one, just one person. Where is that one person? Where are you right now? Well, this one person is in Madrid right now, and I'm gonna get ready for Rome and then playing Strasbourg and Paris. So, kind of busy. Wow. So you you're basically playing every week through the French Open now. Basically, yeah, yeah. I think it's a good preparation for French. And then will you, will you come back for the grass, or do you stay in Europe? I'll come back home for the grass, and then, um, yeah, just start my um, grass in uh, Mallorca. Oh, you'll play that Mallorca event before Wimbledon? Uh, yeah, Mallorca, and then Eastburn, and then Wimbledon, of course. Were you, you were telling me you don't, you don't have access to a grass court in, in Florida? You'll practice for the grass on a hard court? Yeah, I don't have any access on a, on a grass court in Florida because there's no grass. So I guess the best uh, thing to do is just to practice on hard like I've always been doing. So Don't slide. We, we're going uh, to try and get you onto Jack Nicklaus's court. Um, where... That would be awesome. <laughs> that would really be awesome. Um, so, so you had a rough draw in Madrid. We're talking on Tuesday, first 
match out of the gate. You know, so, sometimes you get nice draws. Sometimes you get Petra Kvitova in, in round one. Um, what's the next week like for you? I mean, you're, you're an ocean away from home. How do you, how do you spend that next week? Um, well, I mean, it's just uh, practicing. You know, I'm trying to find practice with girls, you know, just, you know, getting used to the red clay and everything, getting ready for my next upcoming tournaments because, you know, I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough job playing Petra. You know, she's a great player, and I respect to her. And, I mean, hopefully I can do well in the next tournaments and just looking forward to compete out there. You are now top 40. I always yes. say when when you're when you're top when when you get that seating at a major when you're top thirty two, you are guaranteed your first two matches. You're not going to play anyone ranked higher than you are, which you know it's it's a night you're suddenly you're you're in the third round. Is is that something that players think about? I mean, are you are you looking at that seating list for the French Open or is that not in your thinking? Um... I mean, yeah, that would be great um, to be seated there. And I'm not really going to try to focus on that. You know, I don't want to put extra pressure on myself. But, of course, there's uh, big um, pluses when you're seated on a Grand Slam. You know, you always get a court on site. You know, you, like you said, you know, you're not going to play a seated player until, like, the third round. So that's that's always, you know, helpful and makes things way easier. But, you know, it's, you know, anyone can beat anyone on any given day there. So, you know, it's just however you prepare yourself and how mentally and emotionally you're ready, how you're ready. And then it actually doesn't really matter if you're seated or not, but obviously seated is, is big pluses. I was looking for your, for your contact info on my phone and I was going through emails and I saw from 2017, you know, junior champion Kenan to play Maria Sharapova. And I'm thinking you, you have made a very, very smooth and fast transition from the juniors to uh to top 40 what, what yeah you, that what, transition has been it's been good i'm happy to make this transition and as you said you know against uh playing maria my idol was really amazing and it was an experience you know that i'll never forget and you know still trying to get up there climbing the rankings and yeah just just excited what's to come for me you're, th- you're talking about that match at the open against sharapova two years ago yes What's that experience like for you? I mean, we we, we have that all the time where, where players get a, a big match under the bright lights and they, they get to play a star on Arthur Ashe. And then oftentimes, uh, you know, we we don't hear much from them again for a while. We, with you, that wasn't the case. What did you take away from that match with Maria? Um, I mean, the experience, you know, I just saw, you know, how, you know, how, you know, if you work hard, you're going to play in that amazing stadium, you know, under under the lights in New York City, you know, I mean, best time, night session, last match, you know, I couldn't ask for anything better. And, um, yeah, I mean, after that match, you know, I got experience. I started getting used to playing in front of bigger crowds. And, um, yeah, just been practicing, trying, working hard every day. And it's proving that I'm able to compete with these girls. And I've proven it to myself. And people around me, obviously, they can see this. And I'm uh, I'm a competitor out there. And, you know, I'm it's I guess it's tough to play against me. How close were you to going to college that night? Had you, had How you already close decided, I was? Yeah, I had, mean, you, had you decided to play pro or were you still thinking about college tennis at that point? Um I mean at that point after Maria for sure I was gonna go professional. I mean that really wasn't the question there, you know. Um you know, I knew that I was gonna go professional so I was really happy and um third round at US Open it made the decision much easier. So very happy to have done that. 
you talk about your your, your competitiveness and your fight. And if, if you ask other players about you, that's that's the first thing she says. You know, she, she's not the biggest player out there, but she competes really well. Where do you suppose you got that? Um, I guess it's just uh, character, I guess. You know, I have a little bit of Russian inside me, and, you know, usually they're feisty and, you know, fighting, and, you know, they're not going to give up. And, yeah, I got that inside me. And, you know, I've always, um, speaking of Russian, you know, I've looked up to Maria Sharapova, and I've, you know, I've always watched her matches, and I've seen how she's, you know, fighting and never gives up. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, I knew that this is, you know, this is perfect and this is what I need. And, yeah, that's how I got it. Have you talked to her much? Have you? I mean, it, it, I'm looking at your backgrounds. You, there's some similarities. There's some overlap. Um, you're she's you're giving her a few inches in height. I'm not sure you guys uh, necessarily are looking eye to eye when you're standing at the net. But apart from that, you guys have a lot in common. Have you have you spoken to her? I mean, um, there. I mean, I just said um, good match, and then you know she said, "Well, thank you. You played well." And then at the locker room, I I wished her good luck. She said, "Thank you. Good luck in your future." And yeah, that's the last time we've um, spoken because after that, you know, we haven't talked. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Tell us about your coaching situation. We, we've seen your father come out uh, for on-court coaching during matches, but I know I know you were with um, with Rick Macy for a while. T- tell us a bit about your coaching and your influences. Um, I mean, my dad is my main coach, and as he's, as he's coming out on, on court, always coaching me um you know, always helps me. Is always there for me, and you know, it, I'm happy with with my coaching since he's my coach, and I think it's working perfectly. You know, we, you know, we're finding a balance between um, a coach or a father and daughter. So I think we're doing a really good job with this, and um, I know he knows exactly what he's talking about, and he helps me, and he knows me better than anyone. So he would obviously know exactly what to tell me, how to help me if I. You know, if I'm down, he knows the right words to say just to, you know, get me up. And, yeah, and then I, after that, I just started playing better. So, yeah, it's working per- It's working perfectly. Sounds like you really you really trust him. Yeah, for sure. Does he have a tennis background, or, or is it more a situation where he just knows how to motivate you, he knows how to convey a message, he knows sort of what buttons to push? Um, Just that, as you said, you know, he knows – you know, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows exactly what to say at the right moments, at the right times. And, you know, it's it's been helping me. And, it's, yeah, I'm just really happy with it. And, yeah, I think it's just great that we were able to, you know, do this together. And it's, I think it's really important. You worked with – you've spent time at Boletaries too, right? Uh, that, was a, uh, that was a while ago, yeah. When I was little, I, I trained there a little bit. Don't remember much there, but I just remember I was there a little bit. So mostly, mostly at Macy's, or where, where were you? Where would you say you're based? Um, well, I mean, I was like, as you said, was Nick there a little bit, and then Macy. I was with Macy also for some time. You know, he helped me, um, you know, working on my, you know, on my shots. You know, because he he's really good with little kids, and he helps me. And then after that, it's just, 
you know, I knew I needed, you know, next level if I wanted to become professional. And then, you know, me and my dad started trying to find places to go and, and train and everything. But we've always been working together and doing it together. So, yeah, I mean, as you know, like on the road and stuff, you, you're usually hitting with like these girls and everything. You're not, you know, so it's just, I think it's just, it's just a matter of just believing in yourself and knowing that if this is what you're doing, you're, you're able to do it. How do you think you're handling the the public aspect of the job? I mean, it, I I feel like uh, you people talk about the transition from juniors to the pros, and it's a lot about serves are coming faster and getting used to the travel. But but being in public, being you know a a, a celebrity in a lot of cases is is a big adjustment that players sometimes handle better than others. How, how do you think you're handling being a public figure now? Uh, I think I'm doing well with it. You know, I'm. You know, I love when the fans uh, cheer me, help me during the matches. And, you know, I love after the matches um, just to give autographs, take pictures, you know, makes them feel good and makes me feel good, you know, just to show them that I really appreciate their support. And, yeah, I think I'm doing um, a good job, you know, because making the transition from juniors to pros is not always easy. You know, um, like you said, you know, um, playing on the level, returning returning serves or playing on this um, fast level. So I think I've made a really good transition. And, I've always known that I can do it, and that's why, you know, that's why I am where I am, and I'm hoping to get higher. You you, you seem you seem very comfortable in public. You seem very comfortable on social media. I I imagine that that's uh, that's that's sort of one less thing to deal with. I mean, I imagine having the kind of personality that doesn't mind posing for photos or do, doing the media or or having yourself get recognized in an airport. I, I imagine that makes the job significantly easier yeah for sure i mean i like um social media and i think it's fun and you get to show who you are you know you show different different sides of you not only just the tennis and yeah i I use social media as you know and yeah just just happy to share with my fans who's the best tennis follow besides yourself you mean on social media yeah yeah who's who's uh like who's who, who do you follow on twitter who uh you'd recommend other people you can't. Jeannie, you can't Jeannie say that. Sorry, who? Jeannie Bouchard. Oh, yeah, uh, she doesn't need any more followers. Who's who's someone that's uh, a sleeper? Who's who's someone that uh, people might not know about who you enjoy following? Well, I actually follow people who people know, so I'm not really following people who um, others are. You know that people don't know, but I like to follow celebrities. Um, you know, different um, different um, just. Stores, you know, just stuff like this. You know, some of my friends. You want to give? I'll give you my favorite. Do you, do you follow Belinda Benchich? Uh I followed her a few times, and she never followed me back. Oh man! So <laughs> yeah, she never followed me back. So I guess um, still waiting, I guess, for that follower. You know, Belinda Benchich, you've just been called out. Uh, she, she's very <laughs> funny because she also she goes after her trolls and all all these. All these dirtbags who uh, lose money with sports gambling that send her mean messages. She she goes after. Um, I have to ask you the you've seen it a thousand times. I bet you've been asked about it a thousand times. But the the Andy Roddick video that um, the the Tennis Channel interview when you were seven years old. Do you do you remember that at the time? I mean, did you know that before people dusted that off and and started passing that around? Um, I actually I remember that video very well, and those. 
well, it's such a funny video. I love it, and I keep watching it over and over since um, I just saw it on not just now, but I saw it a few months ago. And T- Tennis Channel posted it. I posted on my social media. I mean, it, it's just such a funny video of me, and it was Murphy there, you know, talking about in the water. You know, I kind of had like an attitude over there. It's funny, you know, just during the interview. You know, I was you can tell like I'm. We got a little Russian side over there. <laughs> got that sassiness, <laughs> knowing that I can, you know. Murphy was asking, "Can you return his serve?" I'm like, "Of course, I can return his serve." So, yeah, I, I was pretty confident. So that, that's good. You, you recognize that girl? I recognize, yeah, for sure. What, what do you? You said it twice now. What, what do you mean by your Russian side? Talk, talk a little more about that. Um, I guess just feisty and um, very confident. You know, just knows exactly what I'm talking about there in that video, and no matter you know. It's, crazy you know and erotic serve i knew i'm going to return it and yeah as i said in the video we wanted to have the same racket <laughs> like andy wrong <laughs> so yeah you're seven years old and you have a babble out racket why shouldn't you be able to return 140 mile an hour serve um exactly that's what i thought yeah but that's the same confidence you're bringing on you know you're, you're 20 years old and that's we still see expressions of that same confidence don't we Yes, yes. I like to keep it going and uh, show my confidence when I'm playing and um, on court and off court. You are top 40 now. It will be a successful year if uh, at the end of the year you are blank. I mean, how how do you define success at this point? Um, I just think, you know, it's just um, a matter of just playing well. Of course, being healthy is number one. So, And after that, it's just playing well, you know, um, you know, just having great matches, you know, just getting more experience. And I think the rankings will come, you know, if I put in the hard work as, as I'm doing, it will come. And yeah, I, I don't want to really set a specific goal, just just to not put extra pressure on myself. But I believe I can get there and I'll get there. Can you can you lose a match and leave the court happy? Never. You, you don't do the, uh, I, I played well, she was too good today. Whether it's whether it's Petra I mean, Kvitova or, or a tournament final, I mean, if, if you're you're playing there to win, I mean, if you you come to the net and shake hands and you don't have the sixes and sevens by your name, it's not a good day at the office. I mean, I'm never happy when I lose. Doesn't matter um, if she plays well or you know I played bad, but um, of course, I mean, if she played well and I played well and I lost, and you know, I guess good job for her, you know. But still, it's not a good day at the office. It never is when I lose, and yeah, I don't like to. That's for that's part of the Russian that I was talking <laughs> telling you about. You know, they don't like to lose. They they want to win and yeah. And winning is the most important thing, so how long does it take you to calm down and sort of uh you're you're upset when you you're upset when you lose or you're on a high when you win? How long does it take you to sort of come come back to uh to a regular band? Well, I guess it depends, you know, um, the type of match. But, I mean, if it was a really close match and I lost, the, you know, like one, two points, you know, um, it's going to take maybe like a day or so. And if I win, you know, like at US Open when I won those, um, this uh, last year when I played against Sakari, I won that match. You know, I I don't even remember going to sleep. I was like so happy that I won. And, you know, I knew I was playing Kuskova next match, third round. You know, I was just so happy and uh, filled with emotions, you know, to have won and, and of course, in the first match at US Open last year, when I, I had like two match points, two match points down, and I won right. that match, and yeah, it was pretty dramatic. But um, 
I was just so happy to get through. And after that match, I did not go to sleep for sure because I saved two match points, and it was it was a it was a very dramatic match. So you're being serious. You you stayed up the whole night. I mean, I tried to go to sleep, but I I mean, I just couldn't. You know, I was I was like, how did I win this match? You know, you know, I was just surprised and everything. You know. You are in Madrid. We're we're recording this on Tuesday. You're trying to find practice partners. You've got a, a gym you have access to. Do you have any time to walk around and go to the museum and go to the Prado and explore the city? Well, we were planning to go to the museum tomorrow, but we have went a few times to the Plaza Mayor and just walk around the city, and it's it's so beautiful here, and people are so nice, and yeah, I really love Madrid. And you get Rome next. Rome, yes, that's another special place that I really like. And then you get Paris in uh, in, in two and a half weeks. Strasbourg, then Paris, but yeah. You've uh, and you, you have Strasbourg in between. That's right. Um, it, wait, any any thoughts to playing the week before a slam? You don't you don't mind that? Um, no, I don't mind that. I think it's uh, it's always good practice to play before a slam, and you know if you're, I think it's just good for matches and just for your confidence and. You know, if I hopefully I can do well and just coming to Paris with um, with more confidence would be really good. But then you don't get those extra few days to uh, to explore Paris. Um, this well, uh, we always explore Paris after. See? I always find time to explore Paris. Um, I love that you were 20 years old and you were uh, exploring these cities and not just uh, spending times at the courts and in the lounge. More players should do that. Um, this was great. You were. Uh, it, it's always a pleasure. I know we talked in Indian Wells. I'm glad we were able to do this. Here's what I want to do for you. We're going to get Belinda Benchich to give you a follow, and we are going to try and get you on a real grass court. You shouldn't be practicing for Wimbledon on a hard court. Okay. Thank you so much. And if you would be able to do that, it would be a big lifesaver for me. <laughs> you know where to find me. I, I uh, We don't pay our guests, but we try to uh, help them out in other ways. Um, go explore Madrid. You still have... Uh, you have five hours of daylight. I don't want to keep you anymore. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Likewise. Take care. Good luck. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Thanks to Sonia for the conversation. Uh, good perspective. Uh, Jamie, you listened to that conversation. What did you make of our uh, our new friend? We can call her by her nickname. We don't have to use Sophia. She uh, she gave us the, the Sonia pass. What do you think of Sonia Kennan? Uh, Sonia's great. Very feisty or... You know, she's that's, that's her word. That's her word. Exactly. No, good to hear that she does. Um, you know, she kind of realizes her place in the game. I think she understands her a little bit of her background and her heritage and how that may affect her, be it the way she plays in the court or be it Maria Sharapova comparisons, uh, anything like that. So I thought it was that she was good. I thought there was some insight to tennis um, in, a, in a lot of ways, sometimes inadvertently. I mean, I like to think the part about People say, well, why why do they let their parents coach them? The coaching has no background. And you heard what she said. Like, he understands me like no one else right. does. Um, I thought the Maria Sharapova stuff was interesting. I mean, I think in any other conventional line of work, she says, Maria Sharapova is the player I idolize. They both have this Russian heritage. Right. There are a lot of similarities, a lot of overlap in the story. They came to Florida at, I think, almost exactly the same age. Um, what, what's your interaction with Maria Sharapova? Um she said, good match at the net. I, I, that's not to disparage Maria Sharapova. I think it just was interesting in, uh, so far as it shows how individual and how brutal tennis is as this as this individual sport, as this combat sport. I mean, if there were another 
young up-and-comer in the Sports Illustrated newsroom who was from New Jersey and played college soccer <laughs> and had an interest in tennis, you might make a point of saying, hey, we should have lunch sometime right, and right. let me mentor you. Um, doesn't sound like there's a lot of mentorship going on. Yeah, but to be fair... Uh, well, it's a different workplace. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, I, I get it, um, but maybe the time just hasn't come yet um, for, for something like that. But, you know, she, like I said, she recognizes her place, which is is good. And uh, she's really upset that Belinda Ventures didn't follow her back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> didn't didn't think the conversation would go there. I also did not think that um, Jeannie Bouchard would be the the person everyone must be following on social media. But um, she's a social media. The, star. I was going to say Jeannie Bouchard's uh, followers tallies speak for themselves. Um, no, I, I also think Sonia Kennan's an interesting case in that um, she's obviously younger than the Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys, Coco Cluster, and she's a little bit older than. The Coco Goff, hmm. right, right, right. Whitney Osgood. I mean, she, she's sort of in between generations There's a little bit. There's not a, a lot of twenty-year-olds that we've we've discussed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And thirty-seven, she's up to, which is thirty-seven is, uh, and she's not not defending a whole lot. She <laughs> right, uh, right. she won Hobart and, and final in Acapulco, and then she played the opponent um, whose name I'm currently brain freezing on, uh, who she lost to in Acapulco. She played first round match in Indian Wells and beat her, which I thought said something let's um let's talk a little broader tennis i mean last week's discussion with uh renee stubbs and in full candor renee lives in new york now i thought it would be important to bring her in i avoided justin gimmel stubb situation for a few reasons one of them was the fact that it was a fluid situation i thought it would be dated and in fact was um he resigned from his board position in tennis channel the, the day after we recorded also thought it was important that Deep in tennis circles, this has been uh, a big talking point, but there is a sport going on, and there have been competitive matches being played and tournaments being won and lost, and we're three weeks out of a major. I thought it was important to have some focus on tennis, um, but I also don't want to give short shrift to what I think has been a, a pretty convulsive few weeks for the sport. Um, I'm sort of curious, Jamie, from where you sit, if um, you have overarching thoughts on, on this Gimmelstop situation. Well, I thought that our colleague... Uh, Michael McCann always does a nice job of, of diving into legal issues within sports, but I um, thought this was a good use of him. As you said, someone who's maybe not so familiar with tennis, but you were given some, some factual background, and then he kind of went off on how um, sort of a different angle. It's not all about what Gimmelstab can do or should do, but what the ATP and the ATP board should do to – try and help restore credibility. So I think anyone who hasn't read through it um, should read it. But I think the biggest thing is just about transparency. And I think he mentioned something about disclosure of, of conflicts. Right. So I think that's important for me. Um, we talk about a lot of players and athletes and figures who have gone through legal things. I and mean, we just recently talked about Tiger Woods and, and things that he went through in the public eye. And so um, – there are many cases, and I don't think, like, I think everyone should be given the opportunity to redeem themselves in some way. Um, but figuring that out in this particular situation is tough given the sort of state of tennis generally. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would encourage everyone, we can link it, I would encourage everyone to read uh, Mike's column because he came to this not just with a fresh set of eyes, but also with a lot of knowledge about how other sports operate. Mm -hmm. And reading between the lines, I think he had the same conclusion that a lot of people have, which is that this is just nuts, and this is not how other sports operate. 
And these conflicts are beyond the pale. And I think at tennis, we get a little, you know, it, it gets very inside baseball very quickly. And I think we get desensitized. And I think tennis is structure where you have these tours that are basically comprised of tournaments and players of, of labor and management. That is very different from conventional sports. But I thought it was really instructive to give um, this fact pattern to someone who could approach it with a, a fresh perspective, but also an informed perspective about how other sports operate. And reading between the lines, you sort of say, see someone who's a bit gobsmacked, who's a bit dumbfounded that this was allowed to exist. Somebody facing felony charges not only didn't have to resign, but was able to make the kind of policy that pushed out essentially the acting CEO, you know, the, the person who was the CEO. Um, somebody who's on a board is getting seven-figure contracts from the same organization. Um, when people say, boy, tennis is a <laughs> wacky world, yeah. uh, this this was uh, an example of that. So anyway, I mean, I do, I do hope that now that this seems to have died down, um, I do hope tennis can use this. And this, again, I, I think I wrote this um, I in the piece. This might be too optimistic. I do hope tennis can really use this as an opportunity to examine itself and not just ask it questions, not just have the soul searching, but really make some material changes, really institute some policy here that prevents this kind of situation again. Because this was really, it wasn't good for the sport. It wasn't good for building trust and credibility. It wasn't good for the brand of tennis. But I also think it's just really anathema to growth. I mean, how does the sport grow itself when you have board members getting contracts from the organization they're supposed to represent? I mean, I just think you stand back and you, as Mike did, you say this this fact pattern is just, A, it's nuts, B, it's not ethical, and C, and maybe above all, it is the enemy of, of growth. And this is something tennis can't afford, especially at this at this critical point. So you think it's enough, it's big enough, impactful enough to sort of untangle the very tangled web that, that tennis has in, in, in this I don't know if I would go that far. Right, um, that's what I, was, I don't think that... Um, that is cleaning the Aegean state. I mean, that that's a big task. But I do think just some basic policy. And okay. maybe we can grow from there. And right. maybe the, the ITF comes Enough next. To spur, spur a little bit of change and get the conversation Exactly. Going. And to just have some sort of basics. When this comes up again and executives are facing felony charges, there's a line in the document that you can go to to say, here's why you need to take a leave of absence. And we are not judging you. And you have every chance for exoneration. And we respect the legal system, you will be given every presumption, but you ain't sitting in on board meetings and essentially seeing to it that executives you don't like no longer have jobs. That we're not going to stand for. So we'll see. Um, you know what? I'll give you three topics that have been lost uh, in, in all of this chatter, or at least semi-obscured. All right. Well, I mean, one of them is just the strange clay season so far of Rafa Nadal. I mean, we are talking on Tuesday. He's yet to play his first match in Madrid. I was um, in touch with the camp yesterday who basically said stomach problems, but he'll he's ready to go. Uh, this has been um, a very distressing start to the clay court season for uh, our 11-time French Open champion. As, as, as Renee Stubbs no, said right. last we talked week, about it yeah, last yeah. Week. Yeah, she, yeah. You know, she said that on one hand, would not be surprised if he went into the French Open and won once again, um, which I agree with. But, yes, it's uh, a little – I think he's someone who needs to find his footing a little bit, especially um, heading in. And you just – I think I said this, um, you know, a few months back. He's someone who 
has kind of been a little disappointing this season. And it, it hasn't necessarily been always because of the results, but his body just hasn't been able to keep up with things as, as normal, which has prevented him from playing or has given him some early losses here and there. So you do worry about it a little bit, but I think if there's any place where he can kind of beat the odds, it's going to be in Paris. So uh, this week will definitely be a really big a big time for him to either go either way on this. I can't so. believe we're having this kind of discussion about Rafa Nadal on clay. I think the other side of it, though, is that uh, you know players like Dominic Team are rising as he has steadied and, and plateaued a little bit. So I think that's sort of pushing the conversation to say, all right, well, not only is Rafa not playing great, but there's someone who is making a really strong case for coming in and taking that crown in Paris. So Yeah, and I think this is something instructive, bigger picture about tennis, that we all love Federer Nadal Djokovic. They are titans of the sport. We, we can't say enough nice things about them. They were not going to play forever. And it's going to be a period of adjustment when they're not there, when you have these draws. There will be some ratings declines. There might be some attendance declines. It's going to take a while for tennis to adjust. But like you say, there's still going to be players that emerge. They're still going to give away the trophy. They're still going to be finalists and titleists. And uh, it may take a while, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it's not like they're going to stop holding these tournaments. So uh, this, in a, in a way, I think is a bit of a snapshot. And yeah, if, if Nadal is rolling through clay, it might feels more familiar. Um, it probably is, is better for TV and exposure, certainly in the short term, but Dominic Team's winning trophies and Tsitsipas is winning trophies. Um, let's segue. You know, you know what uh, also has not gotten its due in the past few weeks is Greek tennis. We keep hearing about the Greek freak. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks up three to one. I'll have you know. <laughs> I don't know if you saw. It. Did, did you happen to catch Magic Johnson's tweet? By the way, about Giannis. So Magic Johnson, who leaves the Lakers in part because he wants to have uh, the freedom to say nice things about other players and the freedom to tweet, wrote. Uh, I, I should find it and quote it verbatim. But last night it came across, and it was something to the effect of. Uh, Giannis, also known as the Greek Freak, scored a team-high 39 points as the Milwaukee Bucks took a 3-1 lead over the Boston Celtics. And you want to say you... He will be dominating that NBA regular season and playoffs for many years to come. Gee, thanks. Um, <laughs> you got the first part pretty <laughs> No, but I think, we, I think Twitter had a good laugh at the fact that here's, here's a man who leaves his executive position citing his desire to tweet. And when he does tweet, he's basically taking the, the nut graphs of uh, the Associated Press story. He's uh, showing the whole league why he is such a special player. Yeah, I heard yeah. someone someone said, gee, great, great insight, Captain Obvious. Is, is <laughs> Steph Curry any good, too? You hearing anything about him? Uh, but anyway, uh, that was a digression to say that uh, Greek tennis, the, God, God bless uh, Greeks in the NBA, but uh, Greek tennis, too. Maria Sakari won Rabat. Uh, Tsitsipas won an Estoril. Nice, um... Very nice his, little sort of sub-story in tennis. Yeah, and his second uh, second title of the year. Yeah, exactly. This is a uh, and, and this is after getting to the semis of the Australian Open with a takedown of Roger Federer. Um, There's got to be some something in in Athens we can trace back to to this I, this time and and these players. You know, everyone says, "Oh, it's it's what are they putting in the water?" It, my my takeaway from this is it doesn't take. You, you only need two players. It's a very small sample size. Right, right, you need right. two, <laughs> two good players, and all of a sudden you have a dynasty. Um, it's sort of you know, God bless Roger Stan and Martina Hingis, but th three players does not a a, a dynasty make. Um, but Greek tennis is all of a sudden uh, 
very well positioned. Giannis included. Yeah, Giannis. Oh, oh, I see. No, you're right. It's like what we were talking about with uh, with with Canadians. Canadians, Exactly. Um, I'm looking at the doubles draw from Madrid. Yes, this is. uh, uh, I mentioned this to you. I'm telling you, I think this is a nice, another nice little sub story. If these matches all happen one day over the course course of a weekend, I'd be there for that doubles. You'd go see that, right? Oh my goodness, that's great. Del Potro and Nishikori. Yeah, good to see. Double back. Yeah, good to see that. We'll see how he uh, fares in singles. Different different draw. But uh, Dimitrov and uh, Kachanov, two players who are having very rough goes of it in singles. Uh, just one there. Yeah, exactly. Um, be nice to see if this carried over. Kyrgios and Bernard Tomic. It'd be nice to see if this Team carried and over. Schwartzman. Team and Schwartzman. Yeah, Someone I mean, said I'm, we should I'm make these doubles teams with having the highest uh, height differential possible. <laughs> so Curious uh, Del Potro is, is a good one. Um, or or but, Del Potro Schwartzman. Yeah, Del Potro Schwartzman as well. Uh, that's that's Argentina for you. I um, Larger point here, though. Um, again, I think that the tennis world, certainly my Twitter silo, went very far and very deep down this, this ATP board Justin Gimmelstab uh, rabbit hole. No question it highlighted some disturbing flaws in the system and some real defects that need to be addressed, but I do think it probably took a bit too much away from, from the on-court action. Here we are starting our second major of the year in uh, in less than three weeks. We have players from unlikely countries. We have great doubles draws. We have Patrick Vitova vying for the number one ranking. There are a lot of nice stories in this sport, and I hope we can get back to talking about them, but at the same time, actually learning something and making some real material adjustments because this ATP board situation was ugly, ugly stuff. And uh, it's sort of the, the whispers. A lot of us have been banging this conflict of interest drum for a long time. Um, this was a pretty vivid illustration of why this really needs to be addressed and policed. So Yeah, I think uh, as we turn the corner into the end of the month when we start to really get into the the bulk of uh you know tennis in the summer where everything's really crammed up in in those few weeks um it's probably a a good time for for a major to come and as you say to focus on the tennis but it will also you know i think there's always a a bigger bigger than the court off the court story that we are discussing leading into a, a major and this will probably end up being it um heading into the french so it'll be interesting on both sides too talk some tennis but then i'm sure the players will probably get asked about it as well and serena was at the met gala looking great Uh, just wanted to get that out (laughs) just wanted to get that out um all right this is uh that'll do it for this week um was also at the met gala i didn't know that yeah really yeah yeah yeah. who was she wearing um i know this versace all right i don't know um she was wearing uh it was black and red she had red lipstick Cat eye. Very non Maria. This is the kind of stuff that I just goes over my head. Um, All right. So thanks to uh, Givenchy. Oh, Givenchy. (laughs) Oh, that's different from Versace. It is. Um, All right. Thanks to Jamie. Thanks to uh, Sonia Kennan. Fun conversation with an up and coming player. We'll have another guest next week. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep the guest suggestions coming and uh, have a good week. (laughs) 